What a fantastic declaration by our choir this morning. Thank you for leading us in worship. I think you preached my sermon. I think we're done now. Oh, I lost two guys in the balcony. I want to thank you for your invitation church this morning and to be a part of your wonderful, wonderful family here at Tallowood. I feel like I'm coming home and Christy and I have visited this church a number of times over the years. I'm grateful for your pastor, Dwayne Brooks. What a great friend. He and I have had a long relationship through the years of working together and advocating for children's issues to now his service as a regent at Baylor University. Uh, Dwayne is a fantastic regent for Baylor and for a wonderful university. And I want you to notice something. There are two things that coincided here. Two great things that coincided here. We have rain in South Texas. We have a Heisman candidate at Baylor University. So I think they go together. They're both unusual and extremely rare and much appreciated. (laughs) Turn with me to Acts chapter 3, verse 1 this morning. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 this morning. Um, As you're turning to that, I want to ask you a question. And it's a question that if we can ever be able to fully grasp and fully comprehend, and it's a, it's, a, it's a philosophy, it's a truth out of God's Word that if we can ever fully embrace and we could walk away this morning, our lives will be forever changed. That's a pretty bold statement, is it? When we walk away today, our lives will be forever changed. But you know what the great thing is? It's not only our life that will be forever changed, but someone else's life will be forever changed because of what we've learned today. You know what it comes back around to is this question of, and have you ever received the look? All right, now you're saying, wait a minute, this isn't a great spiritual truth, is it? I'm seeing some of you men quiver. Have you ever received the look? All right, now I've got a few hands that are kind of popping up, and I've got some ladies that are doing this to their husbands. I'm not talking about that bad look. I can't believe you would already go there to think that we're talking about a bad look. I'm talking about a good look, too, but we've all given those looks, haven't we? Now, choir members, tell the truth. Have you ever sat in the choir and looked out there and gave the look to your son or daughter because they were acting up? (laughs) All right, now we're talking. But that look can be an important thing, not only in a negative way, but also in a very positive way. I have two fantastic little boys, my, my sweet wife Christy and I do. They're not little now. They're bigger than I am. But, you know, through the years, whenever they did something and they were watching them in soccer, we're watching them in basketball, we're watching them in football, one of them scores a goal, one of them does something good, what's the first thing they do? They look over to the sidelines. They see their mom and I going crazy, and they see us giving them that affirming and a look. You see, how we look at people is critically important. My sweet wife, now even after 23 years of marriage, she can look at me full of pride and love, and I think I could hang the moon. I can do anything in the world because she looks at me that way. How we look at people is critical. We've gotten to work in South American countries quite a bit, and through our work with children's homes and children's issues and working in malnutrition centers and feeding programs and in South, in, in South American countries, there's a specific look you can get. It's called the ojo. Now, the ojo is literally the eye, but it's the evil eye. And if you ever receive the evil eye, then you've gotten a very bad look. One day, my wife received that look from a lady. They were walking through the grocery store, and the lady looked at her and kept staring at her. And Christy, I mean, I've got the sweetest wife in the world. She thought she knew her. And so she keeps smiling and nodding to her. Well, eventually, the lady just peered at her all the way down. 
And so Christy said good morning, and they passed. And then pretty soon she hears clop, 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 clop. This little lady comes back to her, and she says, oh, she said, your hair was so pretty, I gave you the old hole, but look, I'm going to touch it, and I'm going to take it back now. She had given her that evil look. Well, how we look at people is critical. Let's look at Acts chapter 3, verse 1. And I want to look at an example of Peter and John and how they looked at a beggar. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part at the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called Beautiful Gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles instantly healed and were strengthened. I think it's exciting to see something that Peter and John did here as they're walking into this temple gate. It was something they did on a regular basis. But as they were walking in there, they saw a man that was seated there. And what was he doing? He was begging, wasn't he? He wanted money. I mean, it's not something unusual that we would see. But Peter and John did something very unique, very, something very unusual. They looked at the man. Well, how many times do you and I decline to look? That we just say, well, let's, let's don't look. And you may be able to relate to this experience. Maybe not. Maybe you're much more spiritual than I am. But as you've driven down the road and you come up to an intersection, you come up to an underpass, you see someone standing there. And they're holding a sign. And what does the sign say? Need money, hungry, veteran, will work for food, need a job. I mean, we've all seen it, haven't we? But what's the rule? Well, the rule is don't make eye contact, right? Don't look out your window. Don't make eye contact. Because if we look at that person, if we look them in the eye, then we become accountable to them. And so we do all sorts of kinds of things, or maybe some of you have. Maybe you look in your console and you dig through there and try to... You know, I'm looking over here. Or maybe you engage the person in your passenger seat in a a real intense conversation like, boy, this is great weather we're having. Or maybe you just hold onto the steering wheel and stare at the light like you've never seen a stoplight before, just waiting for it to turn green so you don't have to look at that person. Because when we look at them, we become accountable to them. I think we become accountable to God, and we become accountable to our own self and our, our own conscience. I take my cue from my sweet wife, Christy. She makes sure that in all our cars, for hers and mine and for my two boys, that we always have McDonald's gift cards. And so that we're ready to look when we see a need, to be able to roll down the window and take a little bit of time. And somebody may get upset and may honk at you behind you because you've made them wait. But to be able to engage that person and say, here, I've got, I, I can give you a gift card and at least I can provide you a hot, nutritious meal. Oh, wait a minute. I said McDonald's, did I? It may not be hot and it may not be nutritious, but at least it will be a meal, right? And, but to be able to go a step further, and we've taught our two boys, and I've seen them do it over and over and over, not only to give them that card, but to reach out that window and shake their hand and say, and for my oldest son to be able to say, my name's Ben, what's your name? I'm going to be praying for you today. I've watched, I've looked, I've seen men and women begin to weep 
because someone would touch them, because someone would ask them their name, because someone would share their name with them, because someone would acknowledge them as a person, as a person that's uniquely and, and uniquely created by our, Savior, by, by our Savior and our God. You see, Jesus commands us to look. Jesus said, open your eyes and look at the fields they are ripe for harvest. But when we look at people, we have to go a step further from just looking. We've got to move from that point that Peter and John did. We've got to move from sympathy over to compassion. You know what sympathy is? Sympathy is when we feel something for someone and it hurts us. Okay, so we could go back and we could look at uh, the, the disasters that happened in Joplin, Missouri. We could look at the disasters, the earthquake down in Haiti, all of these different things that have been out there in our past, and you saw them on the TV stations. And, and what happened? You watched it on the news and you went, oh, boy, I hurt for them. Well, that's sympathy. That's a good thing. That's a great thing because God says, your heart is breaking over something that my heart breaks for. But you know what sympathy does later is sympathy says, oh, I feel bad, and then we get up and we go have dinner. And we forget that feeling, and we don't do anything about it. But when we move from sympathy over to compassion, compassion is an action. Compassion says, not only do I feel something, but I want to do something about it. I see a need, and now I'm going to go and be a part of meeting that need. I worshiped at uh, Saddleback here recently, and I met with the pastoral leadership there. Um, as we were talking about partnerships of Baylor University and Saddleback, of reaching out and being able to impact the world for Christ, and Rick Warren said something. He said something that struck me. He said, the only way to serve God is to serve other people. Jesus said in a similar way. He said it, love the Lord, with all, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as, your neighbor as yourself. Well, we know that Jesus was about loving and serving others, and, and sometimes we say, well, I wonder what God is really like, and, you know, we have a great picture of what God's really like. We have God's Word. I'm borrowing my son's Bible this morning, so it may have been a little different translation than what you and I are used to. But God's Word, in this Word, we can know the heart of God, and in this Word, there are more than 2,000 verses that relate to poverty and justice. And we say, what's important to God? Well, He wrote about it 2,000 times about people that are poor, about people that need help. We can look across the United States today, the most developed country in all of the world, and know that 14% of all of our country, of all of our families are food insecure today. In Texas alone, our great state, more than 17% of families are food insecure. Food insecure just means they're going to wonder, where's my next meal going to come from at some point during this next year? We can also look around the world and know that every year more than 1.2 million children are trafficked every year. As we consider this globe and we consider the economies and all that's around us, we can also know that there are more than 133 million orphans worldwide. And we can look around and say there is a need and I can look and I can see it. But these are just statistics. These are just numbers. These aren't real, are they? There was an experiment that was done by Latane and Daly, and it was talked about in Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point. I'm sure many of you read it. In this experiment, what Latane and Daly did was they staged, uh, uh, they, they put together this uh, experiment. And they had a student come in, and they said to this student, we're gonna, you're the only one here, and we're going to interview you. Wait in this room for just a little bit. Well, in the meantime, they had another person in the room next door stage an epileptic seizure. 
Well, 81% of the time when that student was waiting in that room, they would run and go and try to help this person that they thought was having an epileptic seizure. I think, well, 81%, that's a pretty good percentage, isn't it? I was kind of impressed. I, I didn't know that people would be that proactive about going to help. Well, they, they did it again, but this time when they brought the student in, they introduced them to four other students and said, these other students are also waiting to be interviewed. And they replicated the same study. They had the person in this room stage an epileptic seizure. Well, do you know how many times that student now ran to go over and help? Only 37% of the time. Well, what was the difference? Well, the difference was that one student thought that there were others that could go and help. That student thought that surely someone else is more qualified to go and help. Surely someone else is better equipped medically to go and help. Surely someone else will go. Surely someone else will help. Surely someone else will look and reach out with compassion. I think it's an indictment. It's an indictment against me and you and the body of Christ because I think we do the same thing, don't we? Don't we look around and think, boy, these are staggering numbers. These are terrible statistics. And there are children that are suffering. There are families that need food. But surely someone else will go do it. It's the responsibility of our government. It's the responsibility of that mission. It's the responsibility of someone else that lives close to them. But are they really our responsibility? You know what? Christy and I have had the opportunity to look because we've worked with children around the world As we've worked with these children, we've had the opportunity to see one child. And if you look down in the lower right-hand corner of that picture, there's a little boy there, and his name is Jerry. He doesn't spell it the way I do, but we have the same name. This little boy was an orphan in Haiti. Um, His home was destroyed. And as Christy and I were able to work with these children here, I carried Jerry around this compound, and it is hot in Haiti. So we walked a lot, we sweat a lot, and he sang a lot. And in his little Creole accent voice, Jerry would sing, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I thought, here's a little boy that has nothing. He has no material possessions. He has no family. And at this point, he was miles away from anything that he had called a home. And he was willing to sing, this is the day the Lord has made. And I was convicted. Because how many times I have looked at a day and maybe acknowledged that it was a day that God had made, but did not rejoice in it. Christy and I have looked at other places around the world. As we've been to Guatemala, we've looked and we saw a little girl, this little girl named Reynalda. Reynalda was at a malnutrition center where we were leading efforts of working with children. This little girl is seven months old, and she weighs three pounds. Their children... There are children like Reynaldo, children like Jerry, children with all different names from all different languages, from all different countries. There are small children and there are some big children that are out wandering our streets today that are longing for someone to reach out to them, to provide life-changing help for them, and to be able to provide an eternity-changing response for them through the love of Jesus Christ. I'm so proud of our Baylor students and our our leadership at Baylor as they're reaching out on missions and reaching around the world. And and our First Lady Alice Starr led a group this past summer of of, of a number of our student athletes and a number of our students to Kenya 
We had another group of students that went to Honduras where they worked at orphanages there and they were engineers and they were solving problems for this, this orphanage in Honduras. So I'm proud of what we as the body of Christ can do. And y'all, I've got to tell you, I'm proud of what your church is doing here at Tallawood because I know that your church has a strong history, a strong heritage, and a strong presence of reaching out to impact those for Jesus Christ. You have ministries to the Chinese, the Burmese, the Sudanese, and Russian communities, and I know I'm forgetting many more right here within your own community. How grateful I am for that. A strong heritage and history is I know I look and I see the Hodges and the Reagans, and we've served on mission fields with them around the world. Over the past few weeks, you've had teams in Brazil, and today, as I understand, you have a team in Ethiopia. You've provided shoes, you've provided backpacks, you've provided radios, you've provided food, and you've provided the physical presence of Jesus Christ, not only in His hands, but also in His words. But you know what? It's not just enough to be a part of a church that looks. Each of us have to be the one to take the responsibility that we say, you know what? I will be the one to do that. Once that we've looked and we've seen and we know the needs, whether they're children's faces or whether they're statistics, now that we've seen and we've looked, we are all accountable. In James chapter 4, verse 17, it says this. It says, anyone then who knows the sin he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. I've memorized that verse. It's a little bitty short verse. It's a great verse. It's a terribly convicting verse. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. I look back and I think, how many times have I looked and seen someone that needed help? And I knew what I should have done, but I didn't do it. And God says that's sin. Now turn with me to Genesis 37, verse 18. Genesis 37, verse 18. I want to read this verse and talk about it just a minute before we bring this to a conclusion. Now, if you'll remember where we are contextually, Jacob has just sent his youngest son, Joseph. Now, Joseph was wearing the coat of many colors to go check on his brothers. And in Genesis 37, verse 18, it talks about how Joseph's brothers looked at him. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming... It says, but they saw him at a distance, and before he reached him, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him. Let's throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we will see what comes of his dreams. You see, it talks about a sibling rivalry here of Joseph's brothers looking at him, and it said they looked at him at a distance, and they plotted to kill him. They wanted to bring him harm. It says they wanted to dash his dreams. And I wonder sometimes if the sin of action of Joseph's brothers is really different, any different than the sin of inaction on your part and on my part when we see the needs that are out there. And when we see these needs, if we're not moved to action, have we, have we done anything really that different than Joseph's brothers that intentionally brought harm to Joseph? You know, there's good news to the end of Joseph's story, isn't it? I love the wording that God uses in, his, in, in the Bible, and he says, let's dash his dreams. Let's see what becomes of his dreams. Well, we do know that Joseph went on to interpret the dreams of a Pharaoh. He went to be ruling over all of Egypt, and we know that Joseph's story has a wonderful ending. 
But the ending for many people's story today will depend on you and I as the body of Christ. You see, because I believe, I believe fully that you and I, we are called, we are compelled, we are commanded to reach out and make a difference in the lives and the eternities of each and every person around us, whether they look like we do, whether they dress like we do, whether we talk like we do, but we are called and compelled to reach out to them and to be able to offer a change for their life and for their eternity. You see, as the body of Christ, I believe we can do it. I believe we have the resources financially. I believe we have the technology. I believe we have the the delivery systems. I believe everything is there for us to be able to reach out and impact the world for Jesus Christ. I think there may be one thing that's missing, though. That one thing that, that may be missing is if we will put our compassion to action. Well, we say that we love people and empathize for them and have sympathy for them, but will we be moved to action to take action on their behalf? So today, what can we do? When we walk out of the room today, now you remember at the beginning of the sermon I said, if, here's, here's, a, here's a concept, here's a truth out of God's Word, that if we will walk out of with today, it will not only change our lives, it will change every person's life around us. And so today when we walk out, what can we do that's going to impact not only our life but someone's around us? The first thing we can do is we can look. When we look at people, let's look directly in the eyes of the people that we see that we come in contact with. And when we look at them, let's look at them with the compassion of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Whether they be young or old or whatever language they speak or whatever country they're from, let's look at them in the same way that our Savior Jesus Christ does. And our Savior looks at them, I believe, in one of two ways. I think Jesus looks at people one of two ways, and one of those ways is He said, this person does not know me. This person is eternally separated from my Heavenly Father. This person is longing for a relationship with my Father and is longing for forgiveness of sin and desperately needs me as a Savior. Or this person is a part of my family my brother and sister in Christ. And if we are to look at people in those same ways, and we see someone as this person needs Jesus Christ or this person's a part of my family, then we treat them in a different way, don't we? No longer are they an inconvenience. No longer are they someone that intrudes on our time. No longer are they someone that wants something from us, but that we have something to be able to offer and to give to them. So today, let's walk out and let's look at people with the compassion of our Savior. Second, let's put our compassion to action. Let's put our compassion to action on behalf of the homeless, on behalf of those in hospice, on behalf of the children that are out there, on behalf of those that are, that are elderly or that are, that are living in their own homes or homebound. Each person that we come in contact with, let's put our compassion to action. And then the final thing that we need to be ready to do is let's be ready to be inconvenienced. <clears throat> excuse me, inconvenienced. My sweet wife always says ministry is messy. And it is, isn't it? When you get involved in someone's life, it's messy. It doesn't always turn out the way we want it to. They don't always respond the way that we want them to. They don't always acknowledge our gifts. They don't always use our gifts in the way that we want. But you know what God holds us accountable for? God holds you and me accountable for how we reached out of what we gave. 
God will hold them accountable for what they have done with that. And let's leave that judging to God, but let's reach out with compassion. You see, together we can change the world. Together we can be able to impact God's kingdom, but first we have to be willing to look and to see people as our Savior Jesus did. Let's bow our head and close our eyes and go into a a time of invitation. And I'd like to lead us just in in a time of prayer. And today, just as you silently pray, and, and I'd ask you just as David prayed, to pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. Father God, as we come before you this morning, I pray that you would search us. I pray that you would know us. I pray that you would look at our hearts and God reveal sin to us sin of action that we've done intentionally to hurt someone. God, and that sin of inaction, when we failed to reach out and provide the love of your son Jesus Christ to someone. And God, as you reveal that sin to each of our hearts, we claim the verse and the promise that you've said, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. And God, we know and have confidence before you that if we come to you now and ask you to forgive us, then then we're forgiven. There also may be someone here this morning that's never accepted Jesus Christ in their heart. You don't know what forgiveness is like. You carry this pain of guilt. You carry this, this heaviness of heart. You carry this guilt with you every day, and you wonder what forgiveness would be like. Today, you can know forgiveness. Today, you can know relief of that guilt. Today, you can know that you are a part of God's family. And I want to invite you to do that today, to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. And I want to invite you to do that right where you sit. And if you would like to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, I want to ask you to just pray this prayer with me. God, I know I've sinned. I know I've done wrong in your sight. Jesus, please forgive me. Come into my life and be the Savior of my life. God, thank you for saving me. And if you prayed that prayer and if you meant it with all your heart in that instant that you prayed that prayer, God adopted you, invited you in to be a part of his family. Your sins are forgiven. You are forever a part of God's family. What a fantastic thing that you have been a part of today. And I want to encourage you in just a minute in this time of invitation to come and to share it with one of the pastors here. This church family wants to embrace you, wants to be able to help you to grow in that relationship and the understanding of your life with Jesus.